Thanks for checking out the Southcrest Church Podcast. We are one church meeting in two locations in South Atlanta. You can find us online at southcrest.church, where you can listen to our past sermons, watch our 4G stories, and learn more about who we are through our site. This message comes from our Broverb series, where we are learning what God's Word says about being a man in today's world. Let's prepare our hearts to hear a word from God today. Hey guys, how's it going? Good, good. You guys with me? Yeah, okay. So we're here today. We're in our final week of our Broverb series, and we've been talking about wisdom that um, we want guys to live, live according to, according to God's word. We've been talking about how men, you know, are different than women. Like, for instance, m- women would never think to have dirt here on stage, okay? But guys, we love dirt, right? When I was four, no one taught me how to play in the dirt. Like, I love the dirt. And uh, all kids love dirt. I was at the lake the other day with a group of kids, and within five minutes, every one of them had dirt all over their body. It like attracts to them. But uh, today we're going to finish our series on Proverbs, and we're going to be talking about some really important things that as men, uh, we need to understand about our lives. So I don't know, um, men, if you're like me, but sometimes life just feels like digging dirt, right? Like you're just kind of uh, picking dirt up and moving it to another spot. And you say, well, Sean, how does... Uh, how does life equate to digging dirt? Well, it's kind of like this, right? Like you get up every day, you go to your job, and you say, man, all I do all day is just dig dirt, right? Like I answer 3,000 emails, and I uh, get on Facebook for 20 minutes and like everything, and, uh, and then I go back to my desk, and I go to meetings. How many of you men love meetings? Okay, something's wrong with you if you love meetings, okay? And, uh, and we just kind of do this like all day long. And, and then we go home and, and we get this text from our wife that says, hey, listen, don't forget we have three baseball games tonight. And uh, so you need to pick up some more dirt and uh, move it because your kids have to be at practice, right? And uh, if your kids don't, don't go to practice, they don't play. So you got to make sure they get there. And then on top of that, you got to mow the grass, probably got to trim the shrubs, uh, sometimes you got to go out and you got to take the trash out. And so as guys, it's kind of like our lives are, are kind of like shoveling dirt sometimes because we spend a lot of our lives just basically moving dirt uh, from one part of our life to another part of our life. In fact, sometimes I've noticed that I dig so much dirt that at the end of so much digging, I wonder what's it all about, right? Like, why, am I, why do I care so much about moving dirt? But so you just keep moving the dirt, And so here's what you say to yourself as a guy. You say, I just need to learn to dig more. Like if I just had a bigger shovel, I could finish this quicker, right? Or as guys, you just say, hey, this is what it's about. Like this is the hustle of my life, right? Because at the end of my day, people are going to judge me according to how much dirt I moved. And what we don't realize as guys is there's so much more to our life. So as guys, we just keep digging dirt. And we just keep moving dirt and we just keep looking down and we just keep going, wow, that's a weird hole. Look at that hole. And so we go, yeah, but I'll just keep digging because here's what we believe. That if we have movement, we'll have momentum. And as a guy, I can wear myself out with all the movement in the world. But at the end of the day, I don't know that it really gives me any momentum. So I just keep digging I just keep thinking someday if I just keep digging, eventually maybe I'll show up one morning and there will be momentum in my life. Like maybe God will show me something great about my life. Like maybe I will become something great because in my life I just feel like I'm just moving dirt. 
Until one day, the place where you do all your digging becomes a hole. And you look down in the hole as a guy and you say, I'm in a hole. (laughs) And as a guy, you probably wake up somewhere in your 40s and 50s and you say, the very dirt that I'm spending my life moving is really doing nothing more but preparing me for a grave. Because at the end of the day, they're going to stick me in this hole and they're going to cover me with dirt when it's all over. You see, here's what I've learned about guys. Every guy at some season in your life feels like you have no momentum. You feel like all you're doing is moving dirt. And you look down at your life and you discover you're in a hole. And what you do when you feel like you're in that hole will end up defining the rest of your life. I want to make a statement to each one of us today. In fact, this just isn't for men and women. This just isn't for noon and our Grange campus. This is for every person that's here today. What God says about you is true regardless of your circumstances. Did you hear that? What God says about you is true regardless of your circumstances. So it's at that point that as being here at church, we all go, oh, that's a good one, Sean. That's a great Sunday morning statement. I can amen that. I'll write that in my Bible. I may tweet that out. But do we really think that's true? What God says about you is true no matter what your circumstances say. So here we are in life. We're digging holes. And God comes to us and he says something to us about our life as men. And what God says is true regardless of what my circumstances say. You ever been in a hole? I've been in a hole before. As men, we find ourselves in holes all the time. But what God says about you is true regardless of what your circumstances say. I want to tell you a story today about a guy named Gideon. If you have your Bible, turn to the book of Judges chapter 6. Judges is a totally different book of the Bible than the Bible before it. The, the, the Bible, or excuse me, the book before Judges is the book of Joshua, one of my favorite books of the Bible. Like I could read it every day and be encouraged because Joshua was like, hey, Moses is dead. Now you go in, you go take the land. No matter what happens, every place you put your foot, you're going to be there. You're going to take it. And they go in and they fight 33 kings and they win. And God gives them the land and he stands up in Joshua 24 and he says, man, if you are with God, then my family's with God and we're going with God. And you go, yeah, man, I want to be a Joshua. And then all of a sudden you get to the book of Judges. And Judges is like the total opposite. Because in Judges, the people of God have so walked away from the promises of God that God said, I got to put Judges in place. Like there's no king in play yet. So he puts Judges in place. And every one of the Judges in the book of Judges is evil and wicked except for two. There's a woman named Deborah who is a godly woman. And there's a guy named Gideon. And as we walk through and we see the life of this guy named Gideon, we realize really quick that that he's probably a lot like us. Because let me tell you what was true about Gideon. He was afraid. We know from reading about him that he was probably a coward. In fact, he didn't even have any distinctive gifts about him. He wasn't a great leader. He wasn't well spoken of, like he didn't stand on a stage in awe people, like he didn't write songs like David. Like there's a lot of things that would probably, our world would look at him and say, there's no way that bro would ever succeed in our culture. 
But yet he became one of the greatest leaders that Israel ever had. Why? Because what was true about Gideon is what God said about Gideon. Not even what Gideon said about Gideon. See, we know the story because I want to take you to the end and walk you back. You see, Gideon's the guy that when the Midianites came in, and we'll talk about them in just a second, they came in to ravage the land, and Gideon said, no, 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 we're going to do this, and God called him out and all this other stuff. And at the end of the whole story, in Judges chapter 6, he ends up going and defeating the Midianites. But right before that point, he's got 32,000 army guys. And he stands up and says, if any of you are afraid, leave now, and 22,000 leave. Wow, not a good success story, right? At that point, you go, yeah, that's proof, man. He's a bad leader. Like nobody's going into battle with that dude, right? And so he takes the 10,000 and he says, God, I'm gonna go defeat the Midianites with these 10,000. And God says, no, you're not. I want you to take all 10,000 down to this river, down to this shoreline. And those that drink one way and those that drink another way will end up sifting who's really with you and who is just for you. You see, God has a way of sifting our lives. He takes them down and he's 10,000 men. Like you, you would think like, okay, all of these guys, man, they're with him, they're with him, they're with him because they weren't even afraid. They stayed with him. They went down to the water. But the truth is of the 10,000 that went down to the water, only 300 were truly with Gideon. You see, there's a difference in your life between people who say they're for you and people who are really with you. And men, I want to tell you, you got to figure that out in your life because there's a lot of people who want to salute you and say, bro, I am for you. Like, man, we're for you. Like, I'll even wear your t-shirt. Like, if you make a t-shirt. But at the end of the day, they're really not with you. And God taught us a really awesome principle that as men and even as moms and dads, we need to get today. And it's this, sometimes God has to lean it out before he can lift it up. God knew he wanted Gideon to win that battle. But he looked at it and he said, no, 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 there's too many people. I got to thresh all these people out. And he left him with 300 people and they went and they defeated the Midianites. And you go, so why are we talking about it today? Like, you've already given me the hook, Sean. Like, you've already told me the end of the story. Like, let's hurrah and go home. Here's why. Because sometimes we see what God does in a leader's life, what God does in a man's life, and all we ever do is we just see the end of the story and we don't understand how God got him there. So if you have your Bible, Judges chapter 6, I want to talk about five verses today. And in these five verses, what God did in Gideon's life, I believe God wants to do in our lives. And men, listen, if we will surrender to what God has planned and purposed for us, I believe some of the same miracles that Gideon saw in his life, we can see in our life. Judges chapter 6, the Midianites had been oppressing the people of God for a long time. The Midianites were these people who kind of lived across from them. And every time the Israelites would plant their crops, at the point when the crops would begin to come up, the Midianites would come over and they would basically just ravage their crops. And back in those days, if you didn't have crops, you died. Like if you didn't have something to live off of, if you couldn't live off the land, you didn't survive. So at the point of their greatest need, all of a sudden these people would come and intimidate them and oppress them. And they would, they would just be like, oh man, we've just been so beaten down. And so the Bible says that God finally sends a prophet into the people's lives. 
We don't even know who the prophet is according to scripture. But he basically comes and tells the Israelites this. He said, listen, the Lord is allowing this to happen. You need to turn back to God. You need to put down your idols. You need to cut down your Baal worship poles. And you need to come back to God. And in the midst of that, we see a picture of this guy named Gideon. He wasn't the prophet. You know who he was? He was just an all-around guy sitting in a hole, digging dirt. In fact, look what the Bible says in Judges 6, verse 11. It says, The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Oprah that belonged to Joash the Abizrite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. Now, see, we don't understand because we're not much of an agrarian society anymore, but what they would do is they would take their shovel and they would go pick up some wheat and the way that they would thresh the wheat is they would throw it up in the air and the wind would catch the wheat and it would sift the dirt out of the wheat. And so if the wheat had been sifted and the dirt was gone, the wheat was worth something. And they would stand on a hill because obviously on a hill you're gonna have more wind, right? You're not gonna be down in a hole. But here's the problem with Gideon. Gideon wasn't on top of the hill. He was down in a hole. The Bible says he was in a wine press. Now, a wine press would be like a large hole that they would dig and they would press the grapes and they would allow the juice from the grapes to literally flow down into these large vats. And when you go to Israel, sometimes you see some of these places where wine presses were and they're literally like up to here or above your head and you're literally standing in a hole. And here's Gideon. God comes to him and he's in a hole because he's afraid and he's threshing wheat. Man, if the Midianites see me, it's all over. If the Midianites see me, they'll kill me. I mean, he was so intimidated. He was so fearful about his life. And the first thing I want to tell you today about his life is this. God knows your hole, and he knows how to get you out of it. God knew where Gideon was. He knew he was hiding out. He did everything the natural man would do. He'd say, hey, I gotta go hunker down here because I meet a lot of men and I meet a lot of people in life. They're just hunkering down. They're just, they're just hunkering down, right? They're just sticking the shovel deeper in the dirt and just saying, I'm just gonna keep shoveling because as long as I have movement, maybe someone will think I have momentum. Here's the truth. God knew exactly the hole Gideon was in and he knew exactly how to get him out of it. See, that's cool today. I want you to understand something. God knows the hole you're in. And he knows how to get you out of it. He's listening to God, but can you imagine how depressed Gideon was? How defeated, couldn't even stand on a hill to sift the wheat. And he's hiding out. Listen, some of you men, you're hiding out. You're afraid. Like, what if people really see me for who I really am? Listen, God already knows where you are. He knows exactly who you are. God knows the hole you're in, and he knows how to get you out. So let me ask you a question. What hole are you in? Some of us, we're in physical holes. Like, we're dealing with disease in our life. And we're listening to doctors, and we're listening to diagnosis, and we're like, God, I'm in this hole called cancer. Or I'm in this hole called heart attack. Or I'm in this hole called bad health. But many of us, we're in an emotional hole. We've had people tell us all our life that we don't mean anything and that we will never be what God has intended for us to be. And so we're this emotional hole. But some of us, we're just in a spiritual hole. 
Like we keep thinking that if we keep digging religion, that somehow the more we dig religion, that somehow religion will give us momentum. And the truth is all we're doing is digging another hole. What's your hole? Wherever your hole is, God knows your hole. And he knows how to get you out of it. You see, movement with no momentum leads to monotony. Back in the Nazi concentration camps, they used to do this to prisoners all the time. They would bring in these prisoners into the camps and they would say, we have this very large stack of rocks. And they would start very early in the morning and they'd say, you are to pick up this rock and you're to take the rock and you're to set it over on this other side right here. And then you are to go back and literally days on end, they would move a whole pile of rocks from one place to the other place. And they usually said within 15 to 30 days, the people that were moving rocks went crazy. Why? Because you got movement, but it's going nowhere. You're just moving one stack to the other side, to the other side, to the other side. That's where Gideon was. He had movement, but no momentum. And he was at a place where he was like, God, I'm down in this hole and I'm threshing wheat and I'm afraid. But here's the truth. God knew his hole. And God knew how to get him out. Let me ask you this question. Why are Christians so depressed? Every Easter for thousands of years, we stand and proclaim the resurrection of Jesus. I mean, some churches, we grew up singing victory in Jesus, right? And yet I meet a lot of Christians and this is their song. I'm a victim in Jesus. My Savior, someone hit me. Right? I mean, if we have so much victory, why do we live in so much victim? Because all that to me is just another stab at the hole. God knows your hole. He knows how to get you out. Remember Nehemiah? He was rebuilding the wall because the wall had been destroyed. And they got done rebuilding the wall in 52 days. And when they came back to like celebrate the dedication of the wall, all the people of God are weeping. They're like, oh, we are so bruised and beaten and downtrodden. And I love what Nehemiah says to him in Nehemiah 8.10. He says, hey, this, is the, this day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Nehemiah had found something else. It's called the joy of the Lord. And he said, it's my strength. I love those moments in scripture. So God gave Gideon the strength to get out of this hole so that he could change the world. Look what else it says. Look at verse 12. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, I'll stop right there. We know that from reading scripture that this was probably a theophany, which in scripture means that it was an appearing of Jesus before Jesus ever walked on the earth. So Jesus shows up and he says something to Gideon, the angel of the Lord, that we need to hear. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Now that's crazy. The dude is in a hole. Digging dirt, threshing wheat, movement, no momentum, failure. And God walks up and he looks at him and he says, hey, you, you, mighty warrior. In some translations, it says mighty man of valor. 
See, here's what I love about this. God doesn't call you what you are now. He calls you what you can become when. That's what I love about God. I mean, imagine if God called me what I am today. He would say, bro, you need something to calm down. But God looks at me and he says, Sean, I know where you are today, but I don't choose to call you for who you are today. I choose to call you for who you're going to become tomorrow. And he looks at him and he says, hey, you are a mighty warrior. I love it. God not only speaks to us prophetically, he speaks to us positionally. He doesn't just say, this is who you're going to become. He says, this is who you are. See, I got some good news for you today, men. Some of you are so focused on where you are now, you can't figure out who you're becoming. And God looks at you and he says, guess what? I know who you're gonna become. Oh, but God, don't you see my, oh yeah, he sees your past. But he sees your tomorrow more than he sees your past. God's grace sees our tomorrow more than it sees our past. And he knows where you are But he also knows, listen, who you are. He looked at Gideon and he said, you are a mighty warrior. See, here's the problem. There's men in this room. Here's what you heard. You are a lazy son. Listen, I say those words and I'm watching people start crying right now all over this room. You are a failure You can never be good enough for God's grace. (laughs) But God looks at Gideon and he calls him not by what he is now, but by what he will become when. See, here's what I love about God. God doesn't call you by your circumstances. Did you hear that? God doesn't call you by your circumstances. God calls you by his grace and what it has empowered you to become. Here, let me say it again. God doesn't call you by your circumstances. God calls you by his grace and what he has empowered you to become. I love that. Here's why. Because I'm like Gideon sometimes. I'm really insecure. You know, people say to me all the time, it's like, how do you stand up and speak to thousands of people every weekend? See, here's the thing. You can stand on a stage and speak and still be insecure. At times in my life, I'm very insecure. And sometimes I just need to get along with God and I need to hear God say to me who I am, not who everyone else thinks I am. God says to you, I don't call you by your circumstances. I call you by my grace and what I have empowered you to become. If that's good news, say amen. That's good news. That's good news, man, right there. God says, this is who you are. And then look what he says to him in verse 13, because this is how Gideon responds. Um, Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, But if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Sound familiar? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. Wait a minute. Didn't God just tell Gideon who he was? And what did Gideon do? 
He started blaming God. Hey, God, where were you? (laughs) See, here's what's got to happen. If we're ever going to leave the idea of just digging dirt (laughs) and leaving the hole, here's what's got to happen. You got to end the blame game. You got to end the blame game. Gideon says, where are you, God? Where were you? Like, all this happened. Like, we get in a hole, and many times what we do is we start to blame God. Like, God, if you would have been here, I wouldn't have had to dig so long. God, if you'd have been here, this hole wouldn't be as deep. God, if so-and-so wouldn't have done this to my life, I wouldn't be who I am today. Listen, you know what that is? That's taking your victim theology and applying it to a God that it doesn't apply to. That's not who he is. The good news today is this. You can end the blame game. I love the way Andy Stanley says it. He says, blame is a horrible change avoidance strategy. We blame God or we blame others sometimes because what we're saying is, I am not willing to change myself. So here's what I've learned about blame in my life. The deepness and the size of the hole of my life is usually identified by the amount of blame on my lips. I gotta end the blame game. God knows who you are, but he also realizes, no, 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 you gotta understand, I'm working in your life. So look what he says in verse 14. The Lord turned to him and said these words, even after Gideon blamed him. The Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? God looks at him, he calls him for what he is. Gideon tries to blame God. He says, hey, you gotta end the blame game here, bro. And then he looks at him and he says, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hands. Am I not sinning? You see, here's what God was saying. God gives you strength for the next step. He gives you strength for, because here's what we think. We think God gives us strength for the struggle. God, I'm really struggling here. Like I'm in a deep hole. Like, like God, I know you're great and mighty and faithful and all that other stuff, but, but God... I just don't see you right now, and so I'm just going to keep digging, and, and here's what we want. Here's what we say. We get on Facebook and say it. Oh, God, give me strength for my struggle. Guys, I want to tell you, you can spend your whole life looking for strength in your struggle, but God gave you strength for the next step. What is the next step? Strength comes from taking the next step. He looks at Gideon and he says, Gideon, get out of the hole and go in the strength you have. And then he says this, am I not sending you? In other words, God says, hey, I'll give you strength when you take the step. When's God gonna strengthen you when you step out and trust him? That's why people go all the time, go, you know, I'll start giving to the Lord when, when, when I know my fat. No, 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 you don't do that. You start trusting God now and you see what God does. You go, I'm praying for my kids, but I don't know that they'll turn out well. Oh, no, 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 you take the step now. You get on your face before God and you start praying great things over their life and you start stepping. And you know what you'll find out? You'll stop struggling. Because you're so focused on your struggle, you can't even see God's strength. And we want everyone to love our struggle. Watch me struggle. Watch me whip. Now watch me struggle. Okay? That's how we live. I just did that to wake some of you up. You're scaring me. Some of you are like, "Mm." the truth is this. 
God gives you strength for the next step. What is the next step? So I don't know who this applies to, but I felt this way all day long. You need to stop struggling and you need to start stepping. Start stepping. What is the next step? Just go because God says, I'll give you strength for the step. Not just for the struggle. So in verse 15, listen to how he replies. He says, pardon me, my Lord. I love the phrase. Sounds like Shakespeare. Pardon me, my Lord. Okay. He says, pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied. And this is what he says. He says, but how can I save Israel? Now, this is the second time in two verses that we've seen the word but. I mean, Gideon in this moment reveals something to us that we struggle with in our life. And here's what, here's what it is. We got to stop letting our excuses distract us. Stop letting your excuses distract you. Because two times in three verses, here's what Gideon says. But God, but God, here was Gideon's problem. He had a, he had a big butt. And that's some of your problem too. Every time God says, I want to use you and do something great in your life, here's what the first thing you say is, but God, but God, don't you know where I'm at? But God, don't you know the circumstances that are against me? And God says, yeah, but what's true about you is what I say about you, regardless of what your circumstances say. See, our problem is we let our butt get in the way. And some of you go, oh, I'm so offended by that. Listen, if that offends you, you need to give your life to Jesus today. Because you know exactly what I'm talking about today. I'm talking about the butt we put in place when God says, I am going with you. I will give you strength. I will let it happen in your life. You just take the step and I will give you the strength and I will do this for you. And you are saying, but God, stop letting your excuses distract you. I mean, we're loaded with excuses. Anytime God begins to speak to our lives, sometimes we just say, but God, and he's saying, it's getting in the way. You see, we have more reasons and calculate ways that God can't than belief that God can. But God, don't you understand? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh. I am the least in my family. I mean, come on, God. Which brings up a great question. Have you ever tried to coach God? Like, have you ever gotten into this coaching conversation with God before where God tells you he wants you to do something and you try to like lay it? Now, now God, let's take a little sidebar over here. Like, let me coach you up a little bit, God. Don't you understand my family? Like, they're weird. Really weird. Like, there's no family tree. It's just like a family stump. Okay, that weird, God. And so we come to God and we try to coach God and we let our butt get in the way. Every time I've tried to coach God, God goes, Sean, I know. You need to let me take your butt and replace it with belief. Here's the question you need to ask today. What is God calling you to do that you're making excuses for in your life? Some of you, it's to serve. Some of you, it's to go on a mission trip. Some of you, it's to go lead your neighbor to Christ. Some of you, it's start to pray for people when God impresses on you to pray for people. 
Some of you, it's to give. Some, whatever it is, what is the place in your life that you got to stop making excuses for? And you just need to step out and trust God. Stop letting your excuses distract you. They distracted him. And then the Lord says this to him, and we close. It says, the Lord answered, I'll be with you. And you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. Wow. I mean, do you need anything more than that? I mean, I wrote it down this way in my life. If God is saying he's coming with you, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? But Gideon was like, hey, God, like, I got to figure that. No, no, no. If you wait to figure it out, it's no longer faith. And you'll always let fear step in and destroy your faith. So here's the truth about that. When God is with you, listen, he empowers you to do what he has purposed for you. That's what he told Gideon. He said, Gideon, I am with you and I will empower you to do what I have purposed for you. That sounds like a pretty good proposition to me. He says, you'll never be alone. You see, the phraseology here in scripture in in, in verse 16 is the same place when God told Moses, hey, Moses, you go talk to Pharaoh. And he said, God, I can't do it. And he says, no, I'll be with you. It's the exact same Hebrew words. And then over in the Greek, it's the same place where Jesus looks at them in the Great Commission. He says, lo, I am with you always to the very end of the age. He says, I'll go with you. So if God says he's already going, what are we waiting on? Many times in our life, here's what I think is the struggle. Here's the struggle. As men, we continue to believe that movement equals momentum. And guys, listen, if God gives you 74 years or 72 years or 45 years, you don't decide that. God does. God wants more for you than this shovel. In fact, I want to say it to you this way. There's a time in your life where as men, you got to quit lifting the shovel and you need to put it down and you need to lift the sword. I mean, think about what these things represented in, in Gideon's life. He looked at him, he said, Gideon, put down your shovel. I'm going to go with you. You're going to take out the Midianites. We know we won the battle. We don't even have to be scared how the end is. But the question is, God wanted us to see how the man was made. And he said, put down your shovel and pick up your sword. Put down your shovel, pick up your sword. I mean, think about it. This shovel represented all of Gideon's past fear. And this sword that God told him he had as a mighty man of valor represented all of his future faith. I mean, this shovel, think about it, it's crazy. It it represented all the things he could move by himself. This sword represents everything that can be moved by God's spirit in your life. Think about it this way. You look at this shovel and you see all the dirt and everything on it. And, and, and all you think about is I'm in a hole and I'm threshing and I'm going to die here and I'm never going to get out. And God looks at us and says, no, throw down your shovel, pick up your sword because I've called you to go to battle. You mighty warrior. I want you to bow your heads with me today. Thanks again for listening to this week's message. 
Remember, you can find more sermons just like this one on our website at southcrest.church. If you have any questions about our church, email us at hello at southcrest.tv. We'll see you next time.